0: Welcome to Manufacturing Talk Radio, your source for breaking news, business trends, and economic forecasts here and abroad that impact one-third of America's economy. And now your hosts, Lou Weiss and Tim Grady.
1: We're back with Manufacturing Talk Radio. Welcome, everyone, to today's show. We're glad you're with us. We're going to be speaking with a couple of very interesting guests on a very interesting topics, so stay tuned for those. Uh, Andrea Olson and Scott Haller. But before we get to our guests, I'd like to get to my co-host, Lou. How are you doing, and what's the news in the postscript? Um,
2: good morning. Uh, I'm, we're doing fine here. Uh, we're going to get right to it because it's, it's a couple of good interviews, and I don't want to waste time with my stuff. Um, last week, we had our uh, global show. Uh, we had uh, Norbert Orr from Strategis reporting on the financial uh, uh, numbers for the U.S., uh, which are all looking pretty rosy, not only from uh, uh, Strategis, but uh, Institute of Supply Management and NAM and all the rest of the letters of the alphabet. We also had Roy Slow our uh, international correspondent reporting from France and the EU and about how things are going on over there. And if I'm not mistaken, uh, Marie Pen uh, came in second in the election. So that's yes, probably a, a good thing, but she still might make it in the final runoff. Uh, Chad Moutray uh, from NAM. he was reporting on the – uh, economic uh, numbers uh, as uh, Nam sees it and again uh, things are looking very uh, very well uh, Chung Wang reporting from China uh, has some mixed numbers there we, uh China is uh, is healthy um, they they're a lot they're doing a lot of things there including cutting back on their steel production being that they're 300 million tons of surplus uh, that uh, Mr. Trump, our Presidente, uh, is looking to uh, impose tariffs on. But uh, I'll get into that in another, another moment. A um, couple of news items. This one is fresh, fresh, hot off the press. Drones have been used in the Grand Canyon this weekend to find lost hikers. Um, it seems as though that at the height of the uh, Grand Canyon, which is a mile, it's very difficult for helicopters to fly in a stable manner, and they've had many uh, helicopter accidents. Uh, drones seem to have uh, seems to be a safer approach, and they've been using that now for a while. but this, this one in particular, this weekend, two people are lost, they're still lost. Uh, but they do have a a squadron of uh, drones uh, down in the bottom of the uh, canyon looking for them. So here's a a good comment for the value of uh, drones in our society so that uh, we hope that these parties are ultimately found in good health. Uh, It seems as though that uh, Mr. Trump has called for a global review of uh, steel production. Uh, I don't really know why he needs that. There's a lot of reports out all from every country in the world. Uh, maybe he just wants to become the new Superman, the man of steel, the new man of steel. And uh, it seems as though that he's reviewing the amount of imports that come into this country. Well, from China. The the actual number is 3%. 3% of our steel imports come from China. doesn't seem like a real big number. China produces 800 million tons of steel. The United States produces 80 million tons of steel. Big disparity. Uh, and he's looking to impose tariffs. But the last time we did that in 2002, it cost an incredible Uh, international uproar, uh, particularly from Europe, and they were threatening to impose a $2 billion retaliatory sanctions against the United States. Uh, Needless to say, we didn't impose those tariffs. However, we do have a lot of tariffs on steel imports in this country uh, to prevent quote-unquote steel dumping, and Again, the issue is that there's not that much coming in, particularly from China, who's being the one uh, saddled with this uh, accusation. <clears throat> Excuse me. Um, the Chinese have claimed uh, recently that they have reduced their steel production by 65 million tons, and they're planning to do another 50 million ton reduction uh, this year. So that's, that's basically a 15% reduction in steel production in China uh, over the last year and this coming year. So perhaps the problem isn't as big as it's being made to be, uh, and also the fact that we already do have tariffs on steel imports. Unemployment, the lowest in 17 years. 4.5 is considered full employment, but that's the, the E3, U-3. U-3, sorry, U-3. And the U-6, of course, is about double that, closer to 10%. Right. Uh, So uh, let's see. Wisconsin, the home of Tim Grady. Um, Yay! Yeah, really. Uh, In 2013, uh, the state government granted tax credits, uh, and over the last three years, as a result of those tax credits to manufacturers and agriculture, have added 21,000 jobs. Now, for a state like Wisconsin, an increase of 21,000 jobs would be like the state of New York adding hundreds of thousands of jobs. So good for you, Wisconsin, and maybe some of the other states around the country should think about uh, tax credits, and uh, see what that might have, or at least look into what could Wisconsin do. Um, I'm sure those 21,000 jobs did not include any cows. They probably all were human beings. So that said, Tim, back to you.
1: Well, we've got two very interesting interviews, so let's get to our guests. Joining us now is Andrea Olson. She's the CEO of Pragmatic. An interesting marketing company that, that does a lot of things for for their clients, and I'm going to have Andrea kind of give you all the elevator pitch of what she does uh, with Pragmatic for her client companies. It kind of covers a, a broad spectrum of things, and one of the interesting ones that I read as I go to their website, which is uh, Pragmatic of N's and D I K Pragmatic.com, is uncovering systemic issues did impede growth and limit competitiveness. Andrea, welcome to Manufacturing Talk Radio.
3: Oh, thank you, Tim. Thanks for having me.
1: Why don't you give our listeners kind of an idea of what Pragmatic does, and then we'll kind of delve into some of the details.
3: Sure. Well, you know, we know that manufacturers have been doing lean operations on the back of the house since the Toyota way hit the scene. And so our mentality is, why hasn't this transitioned to what we call front-of-the-house operations? So this includes sales, marketing, customer service, technical support. Uh, the questions we ask are, are, why are these departments not functioning, functioning as efficiently and effectively as they could? So what we look at is customer-facing operations in manufacturing and how they impact your existing and potentially new revenues and find ways to optimize those processes through sales, marketing, customer service, and tactically speaking, that can be digital platforms. This can be organizational re-architecture. This can be marketing strategy and communication strategy. This can be product launches and relaunches. So that's really our philosophy.
1: Okay, okay. I um, also see that you are the author of a book called No Disruptions, The New Future of Mid-Market Manufacturing. For our listeners, that can be found on Amazon.com if you're interested in Andrea's book. Um, let's talk about for a moment, Andrea, something that a lot of people uh, have crossed their mind, crossed their desk, but I'm not sure it gets crossed off their to-do list, and that's building and designing a global brand. You folks help. Your plans achieve
3: that? Uh yes. Yes. We've actually I've personally done a few presentations on this subject uh at some conferences including uh FabTech, uh NTMA and the Advanced Design and Manufacturing Conference. Uh but one of the big questions that comes up is organizations are looking to grow and the first thing that they think of is globalization. Right? They have a product and they say, Well, this market's saturated here. In the United States, we're going to try to move our sales to Europe, uh, South South America, South Africa, uh, and the Asian uh, region. The, this is something that we do help companies with, but to be candid, I would argue that, especially small to mid-sized companies, need to really examine what the opportunities are and how that product is going to enter that new market even if it's an asset, even if it's a commodity, there are very different variations between cultures within company, within uh, countries, big variations within regional regulations and requirements. And the things that we most often help companies with are navigating those from a marketing and communication standpoint. So that can be everything from product naming to advertising regulations cultural nuances, understanding how to enter that market and how to position that product in a way that fits that regional and local culture.
2: Okay. So let me let me ask you a question, uh, Andrea, about I'm a client. Uh, I've been manufacturing uh, widgets for many, many years. Uh, it's sort of a commoditized uh, product and the only way I can grow my business is by expanding my market, and I haven't really done a whole lot of exporting because Americans have not been real big exporters over the, uh, over the decades. So sure. I now want to expand, and I want to get into that. So I, I call you up, and uh, what's, what's the first step? How, how does my audience uh, get involved with uh, Pragmatic, and what's the, the methodology?
3: Well, the first step is we try to understand the business you're in. And this sounds like a very simplistic question, uh, but I'll give you a great example. Is uh, One of the clients we were working with was a sandblast machine manufacturer. So they made multi-ton vessels that are filled with abrasive to remove a coating from, let's say, a bridge or a water tower or an industrial plant for maintenance. They were having a hard time expanding their growth, and they wanted to look at markets outside of the U.S., right? They manufactured these sandblast machines, and uh, they were looking at Canada, and they were looking at Mexico, and they wanted to understand and develop a go-to-market strategy. When we sat down and spoke with them about their business, about their operations, and the assets and skill sets they had in-house, we truly discovered that they weren't just a sandblast machine manufacturer, they made pressure vessels. These were all huge pressure vessels. So the question and challenge we brought to them to the table was, do you want to go out of market or do you want to look at new markets where you can still sell the same products you manufacture using the same processes, the same resources and the same materials into different areas within the United States? So this can include the propane tank industry this can conclude the fermentation tank industry for craft and major breweries. So this is where we typically start an engagement, is understanding the whole entire lay of the land of opportunities to grow the business rather than jumping to the conclusion that going out of country is actually the right answer.
2: So the uh, in this particular uh, analogy, you found a product that they didn't even think in terms of marketing uh, domestically or find a new way to present your market as opposed to what they've been doing for 20, 30 years.
3: Right, exactly. So the the difference is that it's much more cost-effective because going out of market, not only logistically do you have production challenges and shipping challenges, you you can have challenges just from – a metric versus imperial perspective you have all the documentation which is operator manual safety materials that are going to have to be in multiple languages you're going to have to account for cultural nuances in that maybe you have positioned your product as the safest product on the market here in the United States but in other areas they might actually value engineering or they value maintenance efficiency over safety so the message that you have here in the U.S. might not resonate in another country or another region. So going out of market isn't simply shipping a product with a brochure to another country. It's actually a, quite an expensive endeavor.
2: Uh, we we know that ourselves. We've done it before. We've had offices in Canada. We had offices most recently in Brazil, and after three years, we uh, figured that Brazil is not a place that uh, we want to be uh, mm-hmm. physically or uh, emotionally or or business-wise, yeah, sure. <laughs> a difficult country to uh, do business in. Uh, there, there, is a, there is a point uh, that uh, in our conversation that we had uh, at one point, you and I, we talked about uh, certain business assumptions that a manufacturer or company would have that Could actually hurt their company and you've kind Mm -hmm. of made a a list of them so why don't you give us an idea of what can kill my company
3: sure sure Um, I've given actually this presentation just uh, a few weeks back at the ADM show in Cleveland and there is an article uh, on our website about this as well
2: why don't you give us your website right now
3: sure uh, that is www. p is in Paul, r a g is in goat, m is in mother, a d is in dog, i k is in kite. dot com. Great.
2: And now for the answer to my question.
3: Why sure? <laughs> you know these. We have consolidated this into ten assumptions after multiple conversations with about 75 different manufacturers and what we found is these, these assumptions are not uncommon outside of manufacturing but we've seen the most prevalent within the manufacturing space and the first assumption is I know my customers right? we've had a lot of mid-sized manufacturers that say, you know what, I don't need any help in this area, I know who my customers are I just need more sales And the challenge is that you might know who your customers are today. You might understand who is buying from you right now. But as we alluded to earlier, do you understand the other markets that you could be selling to? Do you understand as technology changes who your future customers might be outside of the markets and audiences that you serve today? So this assumption is a very short-sighted view and is somewhat limiting to long-term growth.
2: That's, that's an important one. And we all think we know our customers.
1: Are there any other, uh, go ahead, please.
3: Oh, I was going to say the second one is, is, you know, second verse, same as first. I know my competition. So, you know, the question is, you know, who you're competing against today. Do you know who you're competing against tomorrow as companies merge, as organizations change, um, as the market actually shrinks in size, do you know who you're going to be going up against as the industry shifts maybe from a manual process to an automated process? We have things like robotics, internet of things, 3D printing that are all going to disrupt certain industries. And so some of these technologies might be picked up from people that you don't perceive as a competitor today, but could be a competitor within the near future.
1: You have an interesting combination of words that uh, you shared with us, and I'll share them back to you because I'd love to hear the explanation. Lou and I often look at, at least in his industry, and some of the marketing that goes on as being quite antiquated. Only in the last couple of years has it begun to throttle up. You have innovations in manufacturing marketing. I find it an interesting combination of words. (laughs) <laughs> what are the innovations in manufacturing marketing these days?
3: You know, it, it, they, are, they are still burgeoning, uh, but really it's actually taking a page from marketing techniques, approaches, and systems that exist today outside of the manufacturing space. So we're talking about content marketing that is being used heavily within the business-to-consumer space. Um, we are talking about uh, digital marketing and customer engagement, how people move along each customer touch point. So there's opportunities to use customer data, and oftentimes it's termed as big data, to leverage these insights to say, how can I move someone along the sales process more efficiently? How can I be, use a predictive model just like they do uh, in the consumer space? to upsell and cross-sell more effectively. I would argue that a very, very simple example um, is a consumer-facing website called Chewy.com. Chewy.com sells dog food and pet supplies and things along those lines. And they have a program where you can set it up to be an auto ship every two weeks, three weeks, four weeks, and then they will automatically bill you as let's say your, your pets consume their food, and then you don't have to remember to reorder. So these are the types of things that marketing communications can do to streamline not only the customer experience, making it easier to engage with a company, but also then limit that customer attrition because you're really simplifying that process of ordering or reordering or have a, having a predictive model of knowing when someone's going
1: to run out of a component. Um, one of the other things that I know, and, and it's very interesting, Blues uh, company is pretty in tune with this, and it's kept him as a market leader for some time. Leveraging digital marketing and consumer, I'm sorry, customer data to mm-hmm. generate new revenue. The old saying in sales is the easiest place to get new business is from old business. So right. where, do you, where do you help your customers in leveraging digital marketing and customer data to generate new revenue? Sure,
3: uh, in, in a couple different ways. You know, we do start with that taking a look at that big data. But what we specifically do, and actually we're publishing an article on this here later this week, uh, is looking at thick data. Thick data is taking that ethnographic view uh, and doing qualitative interviews and studies of your key customers behavior and really understanding it's not so much about we can upsell and cross sell here but are there also opportunities for new products and services that is an unmet need in the marketplace that you can fill and then we can take all that information and develop an online digital strategy in concert with how your organization functions at every touch point meaning Your whole company is not just online. There's people that call in. There's people that deal with tech support. There's people that deal with customer service. And all of these facets have to work together and in harmony to complete that customer engagement.
2: Um, Andrea, I was uh, thinking a few moments ago that I've been in the manufacturing uh, world for about 50 years. And... Obviously, in those 50 years, a lot of things have changed, new technologies. But there are still a lot of industries. Uh, Take, for example, uh, the machine shop industry or the um, uh, machinery builders, uh, which typically uh, their jobs are always different. Uh, they're they're not making they, – their product has not become commoditized. So they're always doing something new or something different, working as a subcontractor to perhaps a, a major OEM. Mm-hmm. And, we, for, for example, we know that there are still companies out there that when we call them up, we have to uh, – they say, well, you have to call back because I have to turn my fax machine on. So right. that always – yeah, that always presents a bit of a chuckle on our end. But, so there are people out there and there are companies out there that are still quite old-fashioned in their methodology and their uh, mission and structure of their company and the products they make. So my question to you is, how, how do you get to those people and convince them that there is a new, better way for them to address their market, lower their costs, improve their ROI, and not give organizations such as yourself pushback that, well, I don't really need to do that. You know, I'm, I'm doing just fine. Um, how, do, how do you deal with that? Or do you have pushback? Or is everybody all of a sudden buying into the new
3: world? Oh, you know, you know how it is, is that, you know, there's a typical adoption curve. If you think about even new technology. You know, when the iPhone came out or smartphones came out, there's those early adopters. There's people that are getting on board immediately. They want the new and latest thing. Then the second stage are those people that want someone else to flight it and are maybe validated by a small group of people that have tried it already. You get to the big middle of the curve where you've got the majority of people that are adopting and then those laggards at the end of the curve that either are the slowest to adopt, or actually never will. And the biggest concern that we see within manufacturing are those companies that are really on platforms that, not so much from a nostalgia perspective. You know, you might find it to be, uh, you know, warm and hands-on that they're using a fax machine and that they're, you know, typing up invoices <laughs> on, on carbon paper. It's the concern that try and the, buy it. Right, that the world has moved past this. And there are going to be, and are today, OEMs, especially larger ones, that are not going to accept business in that format. So it's not so much an issue of when, it's an issue of it's required. And regrettably, some of these organizations that are very change-resistant Will fall by the wayside um, or their assets will be purchased and they will not exist as an entity individually Uh, so how do we convince these these folks I think that is really a matter of the the manufacturing industry as a whole communicating from peer to peer of how business can be grown and advanced by accepting and adapting to new technologies and changes within business. It has to come from those early adopters and those mid-level adopters, talking to those other folks that they know personally, trying to get them on board. Secondly, I would say it's going to require that second and third generation owner, the, the younger person that has grown up in a digital space and sees the need to modernize processes. But without these two things, I don't see that change to, truly occurring. Uh,
2: actually, we just had uh, a guest on our show several weeks ago, and unfortunately I don't remember their name. Uh, maybe Tim will recall it. Uh, it, it was third-generation uh, manufacturing company in the Midwest. Mm-hmm. And actually the grandfather who started the company, he was the early adopter back in mm. the... Right after the Second World War, and then trained his son, and then the grandson, and they're doing really incredible things. Tim, do you do you remember who that was? Uh, I, I feel ashamed I, I, but I don't remember the name.
1: Yeah, and I know not fan We go through so many interviews, and I know they were in Indiana, if I recall correctly. Yes,
2: Indiana. Um, I remember. I remember. It's Indiana. It was Indiana Tool and Die. And they changed their name, and I hope they're listening so they can call and beat me up for forgetting them. Uh, but <laughs> the point was that they have been uh, doing uh, modifications to their business for almost seventy years, and they're they're they're, they're still first adopters, and uh, their business is uh, quite successful. Uh, mm-hmm. So it 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 does uh, it does work if you buy in. And uh, that's the point that we are trying to uh, get out as uh, Manufacturing Talk Radio to have manufacturers be aware of new technologies, new ideas, new ways of doing things, and also give them the the leads to be able to get in touch with those people, such as yourself, who are uh, extremely helpful and knowledgeable in the new world that it might make it simple for them. It's not that complicated. Uh, they just have to, have to have a couple of coins to be able to pay for changes within their business. But the ROI is quick. Uh, take, for example, uh, the uh, robotics. Um, they're selling robots now for uh, know, was it $45,000 for uh, uh, one of the uh, robots that we uh, had on our show.
1: Yeah, Pastor
2: and Sarah, and and their uh, their return on investment was about six eight months. Mm -hmm. So it's uh, it's it's not difficult. You just have to be able to be open to uh, uh, receive the uh, the the idea about expanding and changing and altering your business. And uh, to that extent, uh, you are really quite helpful.
1: I'm sure with that uh, process. Question for you on Millennials. Lou and I have been uh, talking to Millennials. We've talking been talking about Millennials. We've been talking about the skills gap for uh, probably as long as we've been on the air. And although it's uh, a slow recovery uh, or a slow transition from the baby boomers to the Millennials, what do you see happening with Millennials in the manufacturing workforce?
3: You know, uh this has been a question that's been posed to um, us many times over, uh, and a big part of that has been uh, challenges with recruitment. And I believe that millennials, if if broken if the process is broken down, millennials are not asking for anything different than the previous generations have been asking for, right? Everyone wants a challenging work environment, right? Everyone wants opportunity for uh, advancement and growth. Everyone wants an environment where they enjoy their job and they're working in a safe environment. The challenge becomes, and, and this alludes to our previous conversation, that you bring in a millennial to a company that is using fax machines that's running Windows 97, that has a proprietary software platform to manage the production floor uh, that is, is used nowhere else other than that location. And so the value that the millennial can bring is limited because all of these things do not have a shelf life. All of these things actually have to be modernized at some point. And you're almost trying to go backwards in time to learn skill sets that are not portable. So whether you're 24 or 54, it's arguable that what value is am I bringing to a company that is clearly resistant to change? If I bring <laughs> sure. new ideas to the table, are they going to be implemented or can I be a part of that? And so to me, I don't think an age is a factor there. I think it goes straight back to organizational culture And if the company, no matter what the industry, is not growing and continually progressing, it's giving an employee the indicator that they will soon die.
2: Uh, By the way, um, the company that I couldn't recall before is Intamco in Plymouth, Indiana, I-T-A-M-P-C-O, uh, it used to be another name, but this is their new modern name, going along oh. with the new three-generation company that it is. So I just wanted to correct so that I don't get a phone call complaining that I didn't uh, recall them vividly. So, uh,
1: Well, Andrew, you make a very interesting point about corporate culture because some of the millennials that we've been speaking with Um, that's their desire and their frustration, that they be part of change and improvement and progress, and that's what they want to see not just in their jobs but in the world at large and the environment around them, and whether or not this company that they're working at or the one they're looking at is, in fact, a change agent or a change procrastinator. You make a very powerful point.
3: Yeah, thank you. And and I'd argue that, you know, even those that are in the mid to um, sunset level of their careers, most people want to have a positive impact. Most people want to come home and share their accomplishments of what they did that day uh, at work. Because uh, if you break down hours, a third of your life will be spent at work, one-third. The other third – is sleeping, and then the last third is miscellaneous. So if that's one-third of your entire lifespan, you want to make that count. You want to make that worthwhile, and you want to have a purpose. And so I think companies need to examine not just how to recruit millennials and try to be hip and change the message and change the identity of what manufacturing jobs can be, but examine their culture not only for those new employees but for their existing ones as well.
2: Well, that's a good point. And, by the way, I do appreciate you adding to my vocabulary of worthless information in terms of the sunset of my career. Never heard that term before. (laughs) (laughs) So thank you for that.
1: In, uh, in summary, Andrea, is there anything else you would like to share with our listeners about Pragmatic or some of the things you do or some of the unusual situations you have encountered before we wrap up this segment?
3: Why, sure. Uh, you know, I would say a, a little bit more about Pragmatic. You know, the biggest issue we've seen uh, in the industry is that people are jumping, trying to jump to the solution. Uh, if sales are down, which is the most common challenge that we face, we, we don't need anything else, we just need more sales, can you help us do that? Uh, most organizations will jump to what they perceive as the solution. Uh, this often can be, we need to update our website. We need to update our marketing materials. Uh, we're not being found on search engines. Uh, we, we step back and say, is that really the issue Or are there underlying issues that are connected to that that we can fix and address? Maybe updating your website isn't the issue because there's no traffic going to the website. Maybe (laughs) there are issues, you know, so update the website, but nobody's still going there. So cart before the horse, right? Um, You know, are you losing customers today, right? You need more sales, but what's your customer attrition rate? And why are customers leaving? because you don't want to add to a leaky bucket, right? Um, If you don't have sales, what's your market exposure? Is that people don't know that you're there and aware of your name and your offerings and you're just continually contacting the same 27, 37 customers you have for the last 30 years. So that's a whole different approach in and of itself. Or is your brand reputation tarnished in some way from something that happened in the past that's never really gone away? Uh, And then lastly, you know, how is that entire customer experience, right? Are you delivering that 98% on-time delivery and quality guarantee that every single other person that is in your competitive space is providing? So okay. that's not really truly differentiating you as an organization to your customer. So it's about finding and discovering new ways to differentiate as well. So, in a little different from what you might consider a marketing agency or an advertising agency or a communications what they call PR firm, we really try to figure out what the true challenges are within your business from a marketing, sales, and communication standpoint and then actually put together a game plan to address those that are attacking the lowest-hanging fruit for the most immediate return and then looking long-term to saying, how can we make up a model that sustains the health of the business for the long run?
1: Well, I will remind our listeners that not only does Andrea know about marketing and communications, she is a four-time Addy Award winner, if you're not familiar with those. that's the American Advertising Awards. So we congratulate you on those. She's also the author of a book, No Disruptions, which can be found on Amazon.com. Andrea, thank you for joining us from Pragmatic.
3: Oh, thank you, Tim. Thank you, Lou. It's been a pleasure.
1: Thank, thank
2: you for joining us.
1: You be well. We've been speaking with Andrea Olson, who's CEO of Pragmatic. They can be found at www.pragmatic.com. It ends in D-I-K, pragmatic.com. Stay tuned for more information from Manufacturing Talk Radio.
0: Manufacturing Talk Radio will be right back. Elevate your career and stay ahead of the curve with EISM, brought to you by the Institute for Supply Management. EISM is the first on-the-go lifestyle-compatible learning initiative in the industry. It features hyper-short 15-minute modules and guided learning courses that can be completed in as few as three weeks. Just right for you or your team. It's the world's largest one-stop online learning shop for supply management. Register today at ismelearning.org. How do you keep your business humming? Where do you go when you're looking for quality suppliers of new equipment? Components, MRO supplies, repair services, or even raw materials. 30 years ago, you would have turned to the Thomas Register. Today, Those big green books are better than ever at thomasnet.com, industry's leading platform for product sourcing and supplier discovery. You can easily find that local machine shop, national distributor, OEM, or any supplier having the right quality certification, fast and free. You can even get to specific products, components, or downloadable 3D CAD drawings simply by entering specifications or part numbers. There's a reason thomasnet.com has become the go-to supplier discovery tool for procurement professionals and engineers. There's simply no other resource like it, and it's all free. Go to thomasnet.com today and see how top-notch supplier discovery doesn't have to put a dent into your bottom line.
3: All Metals and Forge Group is an ISO 9001AS and EN 9100 manufacturer of open die forgings and seamless rolled rings in alloy, carbon, stainless and tool steels, aluminum, copper, titanium, and
4: nickel alloys. Visit us at steelforge.com or call 800-600-9290. Welcome
3: back to Manufacturing Talk Radio.
1: Joining
4: us now is Scott Haller.
1: He's with the MS Company, Senior Vice President and Chief Operating Officer. Scott, I'm going to have you explain to our audience what MS Companies does, and thank you for joining us at Manufacturing Talk Radio.
4: Um, thank you. It's, it's it's exciting to be here and have the opportunity to talk about MS Companies. Um, MS Companies is a technology-driven labor provider to – of the manufacturing vertical. Um, you know, we leverage technology and the gig economy to provide a trained, scalable workforce quickly and efficiently to our manufacturing customers' needs uh, across our, you know, 13-state footprint and 16 to 20,000 employees uh, that that are working throughout the year.
1: Wow, that's a number of employees that you're placing. How does a company uh, who has encountered what we all know as the skills gap uh, fill that working with MS companies?
4: Well, the, the, the key is, you know, we're, we're able to, to help close or fill that gap, you know, through our proprietary-driven you know, applicant tracking system technology. I mean, we we leverage you know social media uh, again, the gig economy to to attract talent, keep them in our database, and and use different tools and and things of that nature to to recruit, screen, place you know quicker um, and more accurately, I believe than. Then our competition, certainly over the, the past several years, is we've embraced the technology piece and, and also tried to use that technology to understand our customer base, what their pain points are, and, and how we can help them across all of our business offerings, whether it's quality containment, you know capacity issues, warehousing, logistics, or just pure contingent you know, labor and staffing, but as you mentioned, um, you know, skills gap, whether it's, you know, pure light industrial activity or, you know, IT engineering software development, you know, we're able to fill those needs in a, in a shorter, faster lead time, which in the end, in, in, in our opinion, it, it drives quality, you know, improves cost. And, and helps solidify partnerships.
1: Scott, I know that uh, there's a number of uh, companies out there you know, struggling to look for people, but they're all saying the same thing. We can't find good people. We have open jobs, but we can't find good people. Um, I'm guessing that a lot of those companies are your customers. So what are the advantages and benefits of, of tapping into your company to, to fill those slots.
4: Well, the you know, one of the the benefits is mobile connectivity with you know an ever changing workforce that where the numbers are growing literally by the minute in terms of, of millennials in the workforce. If you can't tap into these people mobily and, and again through through the devices that they hold in their hands you know, I. e. smartphones, social media, et cetera, I think you're already you're already chasing the pack. And you know, what we've been able to do is is again combine that gig economy, you know, technological viewpoint with you know the things that have worked historically in the past. You know, local sourcing, you know, omni channel marketing strategies. So in essence, we're we're trying we're striving for the perfect blend of, you know, of mobile engagement and and on the ground activity that uncovers that you know the talent that's out there that allows us to, to place that talent with customers and continue to grow.
2: Uh, Scott, let me let me ask you, the uh, t- type of client that you have, are they the uh... Major OEMs, are they mid-market? Are they uh, the ma and pa shop size companies? Where, where, is your, where is the core of your market?
4: Well, it's the, not, not to take the easy way out, but the answer really is all of the above. I mean, we, we do business directly with, with very large, um, very known brand OEMs. To, to basically the third and fourth tier in in the manufacturing um, supply chain, and you know it, it it literally varies to that degree. You know in, in our 13 state footprint, um, you know we're we're dealing with everybody from from Honda, Honda, IKEA, General Motors, to it, to use your words the you know, the mom-and-pop manufacturer that, you know, that does, you know, $2 million or less in revenue per year or even or even less than that. So our our customer base is, is very broad.
2: So the, re- the reason why I asked the question, I, I was kind of setting up for my next question. Um, so some significant portion of your market is the uh, mid-market. the the manufacturing company that has 40, 50, 60, 70 people working for them. One of the things that that I did over this weekend, I happened to read a book. And the book is called uh, No Disruptions, written by uh, Andrea Olson, who is uh, going to be a guest on our show. And I thought I should read the book and find out what she's all about. And... Some of the things that she talks about uh, also is the skills gap and so on. And it seems it seems to be that the, particularly in the mid-market world, um, you know, if you have a lifer employee, uh, somebody who's been with you for 15, 20, 25 years, and if you have a lot of them, you know, that's great that you have people that work with you for all that time, but then, the rude awakening is going to come that they're either going to retire or die. And what is it that the manufacturing, again, the mid-market manufacturer done to uh, prepare for the eventuality and, you know, realizing that uh, this is not going to go on forever. I'm going to have to replace these people, so why not be proactive about it Bringing in people uh, who can be trained by the lifers. And we do, Tim and I do know uh, companies that have done that, that they will work one on one with, the, with a, uh, a, a legacy employee uh, with a newbie. And uh, that seems to be working. But the problem is that uh, most don't, and most find themselves in the dilemma that I've got jobs, I've got jobs, I can't get people. I can't get people. And they waited for the moment of going over the cliff and saying, Holy whatever, I'm going mm-hmm. over the cliff. So to me it sounds like you your organization I was you're probably wondering when I was gonna get to you. Your organization is almost like the the Uber of employment. Whatever the customer customer client manufacturer needs you fill that need um immediately is, is that is that the case it,
4: that, that's correct i mean so our our mobile applications are key to our success and and at the end of the day i'd like to you know i'd, I'd like to touch on a couple of the things you said i mean you hit the nail on the head a lot of the and, and to me it's not just specific to the to the mid markets but primarily in the mid markets with as challenging as you know the margins in manufacturing have become particularly in automotive you know they you know these companies their focus is on building and shipping products because that's what their core competency is. Where our core competency has been, you know, developed over the years to to attract, recruit, screen, train, and and, and provide labor, um, but but you hit the nail on the head. You know our ability to use technology to, to, to provide a data-driven, on-demand workforce tailored to the needs of the manu- of the manufacturing plant. You know is the key, and that that's everything from you know what I call rec to check. You know the requisition, the demand of the employee, you know, to the to the payment of the employee is all technology based, automated, and not only that, real time and visible through dashboard um, technology and availability that's customized and tailored to to our to our clients' needs, and, and that's really been the di- differentiator is is partnering with these customers, you know, proving to them that we can find, screen, and place the people. But not only that, providing them the real-time data and visibility through the dashboards and technology and also giving them the the mobile on-demand applications that they can use, you know, literally holding in their hand on their smartphone, you know, pressing a button to understand their key Key workforce and and labor analytics.
2: You mentioned uh, earlier that you have a 13 state uh, footprint. Uh, is, I I presume we're talking about uh, the uh, the Midwest.
4: Yeah, primarily, you know, through the through the Midwest, um, you know, whatever they're calling it these days, you know, the Rust Belt. Uh, headquartered in Indianapolis. Uh, you know, north up to to Michigan, Ohio, Indiana, obviously, Kentucky, Tennessee, South Carolina, Midwest, the Southeast, and then more recently um, we have presence in Texas, Missouri, and and Mexico as well.
2: So – what what's the future look like for you going uh, further either east or west because uh, we, we have the same we have the same issues here that you have in the in the midwest and i don't think that there's another company that's doing what you're doing
4: well we we we, we are poised for growth you know you know not only from a from a technology infrastructure but a, but a human capital infrastructure as well um, you know, we continue to to not only pursue business, but have business pursue us um, in the, you know, in the New England and eastern seaboard area. Uh, we've also, and, and I failed to mention in my previous comments, have, have expanded to the Reno, Nevada area through a partnership with a tier one supplier that's directly tied to to Tesla and their gigafactory there. Um, so, to, so to answer your question, you know, we feel we're very scalable, again, not only from a technology standpoint, but from a human capital standpoint as well as as we continue to fill the pipeline and, and, and expect to continue to grow.
1: Scott, uh, <clears throat> we are watching and have on the show every month the numbers that come out of the institute for supply management, all of which are well above 50, both on the manufacturing side and the non-manufacturing side. We watch the market numbers as well that come out. Those are above 50. We watch uh, numbers that come out of NAM and a number of other uh, sources, all of which say that manufacturing is uh, now poised to take off or is, is in fact, taking off. Are you seeing it now? Do you foresee it in the near future, or is it still – a bit
4: in the doldrums. Uh, we we feel it's 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 poised to take off, as you mentioned. And, and again, um, you know, depending on the vertical, uh, I think the growth will be will be higher in some areas. Um, you know, consumer product goods, for example. You know, there's depending on who you talk to you know, in automotive there's there's varying opinions but you know where we've where we're poised and have differentiated particularly over the last twenty four to thirty six months is in is in other verticals as well outside of of automotive manufacturing and, and also with a focus on on software development and and pure in the pure technology skills gap, whether that's you know, IT engineering, or, or again, software development, and and again, I th- I think it's going to take off, and, and we're poised for that and excited for it, because regardless of, of what vertical it is, um, there's two things people are are, are going to need or companies are going to need, and one is, you know, data and, and technology, and the other is labor, regardless of of what vertical it is or, or what we're doing, the demand for those two things is is not going to decrease.
1: Scott, what kind of uh, data are employers looking to you, to MS companies for, when they retain uh, the talent? What kind of uh, reporting or information are they then following up on?
4: Well, some of it is vertical specific, but as it as it re- relates to labor, you know, co- companies want to know, you know, attrition, retention, you know, time to fill, almost almost. If you look at it at, from a commodity standpoint, you know, inventory cycles as it relates to the to the associates that you're that you're placing, um, you know, and, and we can tie specific retention and and, and uh, attrition numbers directly to you know specific areas of the plant, specific frontline leadership and, and again that's all visible um, real time with you know with the the tailor made customer dashboards that that our clients use. You know, also, you know, customers want, you know, quality data, Pareto charts, you know, PPM, um, things of that nature. So, you know, de- again, depending on the service, whether it's quality-based, logistics-based, or just temporary labor-based, you know, that, that that data is customized to specifically what they want, and, and so they can see it real-time. You know, even something as simple as, you know, daily hours worked, um, being able to, to look at it, know, understand your temporary labor workforce, the amount of headcount that's in the plant, the hours that they're working on, on an hourly and daily basis versus, you know, trying to to accrue and, and true up those things weekly or monthly, which has a tendency to be a nightmare. So, you know, everything we provide, we provide you know real time and true. Your web-based, custom custom-built um, dashboard visibility. So Scott, you're
2: you're more much more than a uh, labor force provider. Uh, it's almost as if you've come up with a, um, a digital uh, uh, process where the management of a company can take a look at their organization uh, through your eyes and uh, the dashboard and spend perhaps less time uh, doing that through their antiquated systems or, uh, uh, or no systems uh, so that they could spend more time uh, perhaps in, in marketing where this is what generates the business in the first place. Is that could that be a true statement?
4: That is absolutely correct. I mean, you you almost stole the words out of my head uh, as you were talking. You know, you know, MS companies is about digital communication and the speed and the efficiency um, that can be gained through that speed. Uh, you know, within our client base, if you know, to borrow kind of a lean manufacturing quote or principle, you know, our digital communication allows our clients to make the shortest, fastest correction, you know, as it relates to their you know their labor challenges or labor needs. And you know, you know, you mentioned you know the Uber of labor providers and, and that that's correct. And I also look at it if if you think about digital communication you know, even today, and I'm sure everybody part of this discussion is, is of various ages and generations, et cetera, but, you know, I'm 45 years old, and, you know, for me personally, I can tell you this. I, I respond to 100% of the text messages I get and probably 60 to 70% of the phone calls. And and to me, that's just an example of a very simplified digital communication. And and if you can do that with that speed and efficiency with critical information, um, that's how you can differentiate and, and become a partner that solves problems rather than just continues to be part of the replication of those problems.
2: Well, while we're on that topic, why don't you give our listeners your uh, contact information, whether it's website or your email address or phone number, whatever you want to give. Let's, uh, let's let the folks uh, hear how to reach out to you.
4: Well, thank you for that. The easiest avenue is, is through, through our website, www.mscompanies.com. MS Companies is, is all one word. Um, you know, for me personally, Haller at mscompanies.com. Uh, anybody can reach out to me personally, and, and I'm sure uh, I'll get back to him right away, uh, especially if it's a text message. <laughs>
2: um, Scott, I have to ask the question. What okay. does MS mean?
4: Manage solutions.
2: Got it.
1: I was like a setup for you.
2: <laughs> <Yeah>.
1: <laughs> well, Scott, we appreciate you being with us on Manufacturing Talk Radio. You've built a very interesting company that uh, should be positioned just about right for what's happening in manufacturing, where they face oh, the numbers 200,000, 300,000, 700,000. In 10 years, they're talking $3.2 in terms of uh, a gap in. Employees, So we certainly wish you the best of luck, and thank you for being on the show.
4: Well, thank you. I appreciate the time and the opportunity, and and you're correct. Our, our founder and CEO, uh, Pete Butler, you know, he's, he's been the driving force behind this. Um, you know, me personally, I came out of manufacturing and operations uh, prior to my tenure with MS companies with both Ford Motor Company and Johnson Controls. And, and Mr. Butler, through his vision and platform, you know, convinced me that this was the right thing to do for, for the rest of my career. And and again, we're excited about what we're doing. We're proud of it. Um, you know, like any other growing company, not without our our challenges. But at the end of the day, the proof the proof is in the pudding, and our you know our growth and and you know, market share accumulation over the past three to four years in particular speaks for itself and we're excited to continue to do more. So thank you again for your time and this platform and, and, and hopefully uh, hopefully we can do it again.
2: That'll be fun to do, Scott. Thank you very much. Appreciate your, your time this morning.
1: Thank you.
4: Thank, Thank you. Have a great day.
1: And we've been speaking with Scott Haller, who is with uh, MS Companies, stands for Managed Solutions Companies. He's Senior Vice President and Chief Operating Officer. They happen to be in Indianapolis, Indiana, but they serve 13 states. They've got over 900 customers, so they've come up with a very interesting labor solution.
2: Great show, great show. Enjoyed the conversation, and I hope that some this information uh, helps uh, our listeners, our audience. Uh, and find a use and a benefit to a lot of the ideas and suggestions. Next week's show, we have our usual, Brad Holcomb, Chair of the Institute of Supply Management, to discuss April's PMI number. And I'm keeping my fingers crossed that that number just keeps on going up, even though Brad likes it to go down once in a while. He doesn't like to see the pot overboil. Yeah. (laughs) <laughs> we'll, uh, we'll see how that plays out. But it's, it's, it does seem to happen that uh, the, these numbers go in, in, in the, over a period of time. They don't just go up and down like uh, um, one month it's up four points and then down four points the next month. So we're hopeful that it's going to stay that way. Uh, our second guest, uh, also a regular, Dr. Chris Q, uh from the FMA. He's an FMA economist. He's also with Armada Corporate Intelligence to discuss the Credit Managers Index, and uh, with Chris's usual sense of humor, uh, which most uh, most economists don't have, um, he'll bring some laughter and joy to all of our hearts. Jim? <laughs>
1: It was a great show, and we appreciate all of you listening to Manufacturing Talk Radio. As always, you can find any of our shows at mfgtalkradio.com. We actually do have people listening to many shows that we did in the past, and all of our current shows are up on our homepage. Under previous shows, we have the entire library. Feel free to visit our website often. We also post uh, breaking news on that site as well, so look for updated uh, news articles. And we enjoy having you listen to Manufacturing Talk Radio. We'll be back again with
3: you next week. Thanks for joining us on Manufacturing Talk Radio. You can hear our next broadcast each Tuesday at 1 p.m. Eastern Standard Time at mfgtalkradio.com.
2: This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.